What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva, happy as Larry Group. I hope you are well and having an amazing week. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Good Show. It's great to, to have you here. And I have a lovely guest, which I've been really looking forward to catching up with. Um, Tatiana was um, on my Broadcast Yourself course. We're on a course together. We went through the journey and... It was a journey and a half, but we made it to the end and we are on iTunes and she has a lovely um, podcast on iTunes called London Hill. I would definitely recommend um, taking a look. Tatiana's background is, is fascinating. I'm really looking forward to just having a, a, a real good chat with her and I want to introduce her. So she's got a, a PhD as a chemist at UCL. She worked as a postdoctoral research scientist at NIH in, in the US. Um, she moved across different places, lived in Germany, worked as a biotechnology um, strategic consultant and moved back into the UK and decided to retrain as a rapid transformational therapist and looking at more kind of the holistic approach to health. And I'm really interested in having a conversation because it's 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 very different when you're putting science and the holistic approach and, and therapy. So first of all, welcome to the show, Tatiana. Really well, looking forward. Thanks very much for inviting me, Alex. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. It's really nice to see you again. Yeah, it is good to see you. How you been? Good. Good. Podcasting like crazy. <laughs> oh, good stuff. That's what we like. That's what we like. I love your your background because the I've read you know different books and one of the books when I was reading your bio and I was uh, the, the first book that popped into mind was um did you ever read um Many Lives Many Masters with Brian Wise Brian Ways I haven't actually no it's a fascinating book I oh, really God, recommend another one I tell yeah. you Amazon, Amazon loves me you know <laughs> Audio books are brilliant. I've started listening to Audible now and I listen to it in a car when I'm working. I've got my headset on, so I'm starting to get through a lot more books now because I'm fascinated about reading. And I think the reason that I love you know what you've done around you know your PhD and, and research, I'm not kind of that that level with regards to education, but my fascination for learning and life is is very much the same as well, you know. And um kind of got you into I guess first of all you know into that in, into doing your your PhD as, as a chemist? My, my scientific career happened by accident which is a, the way I think most things in life happen. Um, I have a, an incredibly clear recollection of being about six and sitting outside in the back garden with my dad, who I'd been helping weed or do the things that six-year-olds do, probably cause more trouble than help. And we were taking a lunch break and my mum had brought us out some sandwiches and some, some lemonade. And my father started to explain atomic theory to me. So with, by drawing it in the ground in front of us with the stick, oh, uh, drawing oh. atoms and telling, you know, about how there's a proton in the middle and how the electrons go around. And I thought this was just totally fascinating, you know, and mm. I think also, like all good daughters, I realized that this was a great way to get more of my dad's attention because, you know, I had a typical kind of father who who spent most of his time working. And, and it kind of grew from there. And then 
what happened was because I'd learned atomic theory at the age of like six, mm-hmm. when we actually came to learn it in school, of course, I was really good at it. And that's always a bonus. And then I, I sort of went from there. I, it was really kind of accidental. It was a subject that I found interesting mm-hmm. and that I was really good at. Um, but I had no idea what I really wanted to do. And in fact, even before I went to university to do my undergraduate degree, I had already tried to study chiropractic okay. because I'd already sort of um, developed an equal fascination for um I would really call that also like mind-body healing when you when you kind of understand the concept that the body heals itself and this innate mm-hmm. intelligence. And that really fascinated me. But in those days, it was almost impossible to do and undescribably expensive. Mm-hmm. So I went off to college. And then when I finished my first degree, I didn't know what to do with myself. But my last year of my undergraduate degree, I'd done a research project in the lab mm-hmm. And I loved that. I really, really enjoyed having, you know, get my hands dirty. So uh, I thought, yeah. well, sensible thing to do is do a PhD. <laughs> and um, and I did. And I, the subject of my PhD was really interesting to me. And um, mm-hmm. that was all about the, the neurological um, effects. Well, it was looking at the effects of neurotransmitters on mast cells. And mast cells are the cells that are responsible for allergic disease. So already, even then, I was trying to kind of get this mind-body connection going. But yeah. yeah, so that was how it all started. Oh wow! So how did that kind of develop from there? I mean, well, you know what it's like in life—the ball just keeps rolling. I mean, after yeah. um, after I did my PhD, I got a postdoc in America. That was also an accident. I actually went to visit a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, I went to visit her in the lab uh, at the NIH. In those days, the security was a little more lax than it is today. Yeah. And the next thing I knew, her boss was offering me a job. So I thought, okay, that sounds like a good thing to do. Wow. And, um, and I really enjoyed it. But I, I did also realize pretty quickly after working five years at the bench that um, I probably wasn't cut out to be a research scientist. Um, okay. I think I'm a pretty good scientist. I think I've got quite an inquisitive and scientific brain, but mm-hmm. I found the kind of nuts and bolts of that life just it, it, the kicks don't come fast enough you know you right. you end up having to do an experiment and then of course you have to repeat it and repeat it and I was really useless at that I would always change something because I always wanted to improve it and that's totally not scientific <laughs> and, um, and so I, I stepped out of, of bench research and, and went into industry because at that time I'd moved to Germany. And then my biggest asset actually wasn't my science degree. It was the fact that I was a native English speaker. Um, okay. So I went in with the very first wave of biotechnology companies um, already. It was a company in those days called Lion Bioscience, and they used to do bioinformatics. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first of its kind. And it was also that kind of dot-com bubble where that whole technology thing was really taking off. And it was a, it was a fun environment to be in. Mm-hmm. And um, then I moved to Saxony, which is um, former East Germany, to help mm-hmm. them build up their biotech um, industry. And that, for me, was actually a lot less to do with science than it was mm-hmm. to do with people because that was bringing an industry, that was creating jobs, that was also an industry that in itself at some point hopefully would sort of like help lives. So, you know, biotechnology for me was always what they call red biotech, which is medicinal, medical, rather mm-hmm. than 
you know, I'm not a GMO fan. Let's get that clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I was just one way and another. You know, I've, I've never actually ever applied for a job in my life. Every, every single job I've always had has, has just come up at the right time, the right place. So, yeah. you know, um, yeah. And then when I moved back to England, I thought, okay, um, let's do something different. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so with, um, I mean, you went into rapid transformational therapist. And I guess for people who don't understand it, and I'm no expert in it either, talk me through that. You know, what, what does that entail? A transformational therapist is one that, by definition, creates a transformation in a person. So you actually go out with the intention of of transforming a thing or a part of that person, a part of the way they see the world, a part of the way they deal with themselves, um, overcoming a trauma, um, getting rid of a, a disease that may have a really significant psychological component. Um, it's originally a technique that was set up by Marissa Peer, but it draws on a, a lot of very different um, types of, there's a little bit of NLP, a little bit of CBT, but she's turned it into her own kind of unique set of components um, so that within a relatively short period of time, sometimes even within a single session, you can transform a person, turn them around. And I find that amazingly fascinating. Yeah. It's so really- it uses hypnosis is, is the main thing about it. So we use hypnosis to get past the, um, the subconscious mind, uh, to get into the subconscious mind, rather, mm-hmm. to get into the operating system and bypass the critical mind. Yeah. It uses regression so that you actually take a person back um, in their minds. Oftentimes their minds won't straight away go to anything that might be painful because the brain mm. always likes to kind of try and protect you, but the subconscious mm. will always answer your questions. And so sometimes it will give you metaphors and pictures and sometimes it will go to that event, but you can control as a, you know, trained therapist, you can control that for the client so they mm. don't experience any, any great, you know, it's, it's not like reenacting the drama of it, but you sometimes have to revisit painful places to figure out where, this hiccup in the programming came from because that's pretty much usually what it is. And oftentimes it's way back in childhood and then you can reframe it because a lot of the times when things happen in childhood and they affect you, you are looking at that memory through the eyes of a child and Mm -hmm. you're not a child anymore. I mean, a child is helpless, defenseless at everybody else's beck and call at everybody else's pleasure you know um they can't defend themselves they're reliant on everybody else but of course that's not the case when you grow up and you're an adult but you still have sometimes these remnants of this kind of like feeling of of being incapable of doing anything about this situation or not being able to overcome this trauma or being scared and have a phobia and all it takes is just reprogramming the brain, and you can yeah. do that. Yeah, it's very fascinating, and it's interesting. You, you talked about, I guess, our inner child, and you know, and, and those experiences that we have. Um, it's fascinating, even when, when I'm working with clients, and, and you touched on that. It is pretty much nine times out of ten, anything that they are struggling with now as an adult tends to come from something that happened to them as a child, and. I find it absolutely fascinating that we lose that connection 
you know, as, as human beings, as we start to get older and older, we, we, we seem to just completely lose that connection with our inner child and, and almost forget that, you know, that the incidents happen or, you know, and, um, or the trauma, whatever it might be, you know, it could be a, a particular experience. And, <clears throat> and I don't know whether you share this, but it's really fascinating to see an adult go back into being that child Whatever the age may be, they go back to being that child again. Um, but it's also really beautiful to see the freeing side of it when, I guess, as you're saying, when you find that, that gem, you know, whether it's trauma, whether it's something that happened to them, you know, fear, depression, anxiety, whatever it's being triggered now, and you find that gem and then they're able to, to look at that, which generally tends to be a little painful, but you look at that small amount of pain and then it kind of flourishes on the other side. Um, and, it's, and, and it seems like you get that kind of experience with working with clients as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, it doesn't work every single time. Um, I, I've also learned to understand that, you know, it's it's really important to meet people where they are. And mm-hmm. some people come looking for help, but actually they're not really ready for it yet. Yeah. Um, and you have to respect that. You know, you can you can do all of you can. But if somebody's very resistant, sometimes the first thing to do is actually look at that resistance and understand where that's coming from. And that can that can take its own time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when when, you know, I've, I've had clients who've come in with physical conditions, with mm-hmm. uh, phobias, um, you know, public speaking or, or whatever, and, and they go out at the door a different person. And mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with me, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, they do that all themselves. I just guide them and lead them and show them techniques or use techniques that help them get to where they're going. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is the joy of it, is that mm-hmm. you you see somebody who came in broken and goes out whole and, and mm-hmm. they did the work themselves. And, and that's amazing, you know, and yeah. it's I actually uh, I'm deeply humbled by by the privilege of being able to do that. Some, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's such a beautiful thing, and, and, you, and you, you mentioned that you're not really, you don't feel as though you're doing the work. And it's interesting because I feel the same. And I always say to clients, you know, when I'm working with one at the moment, <clears throat> and, he, and he always says to me, oh, thank you so much. I was like, I haven't done anything. You are doing the work every day. So what you've got to understand is you've got to give yourself that credit because you're the person going. All I've done is I've shown you, as you said, you know, I've shown you a few things and you've applied them and they've worked. I've shown you a little bit more. You've applied and it worked. And what we're doing is, is we're taking steps forward, you know, for you to to keep growing as an individual, mentally, physically, spiritually, you know. Yeah. But if you all of a sudden turn around and say to me, thanks for everything you've given me, but I'm not doing anything about it anymore. I can't do anything about that. You exactly. know, it's completely up to you. So there, there is that level, as you mentioned, about um, acceptance, isn't it? And I think we all have to go through through a point in our lives where I, I remember reading something and then I, oh, sorry, I watched a video where they said people usually can't change um, a behavior. Um, unless something really traumatic's happened to them or, or they get to a point where enough's enough, you know, especially when you get to a certain age. So if you kind of go, you know, 35 onwards, it's very hard unless something, you know, unless you've kind of hit that rock bottom, as they say, or, or you know, you, you're really at the end of your tether. And that's when people then 
usually either come to a therapist or a coach or you know whatever it might be to then make those those changes um what's been your biggest challenge around you know working with 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 clients oh that's a tough one um i think a lot of the time actually i think the biggest challenge for me is is learning to let go and and what I mean by that is not in the classical way that you would think but it's like I suffer incredible disappointment if a client doesn't go away with the result that I'd hope for them especially when you see that the potential is there Mm. but I have to let that go I have to let that disappointment go I mean I get a thrill whenever it works but you there are there are a million reasons why sometimes it just doesn't Mm. and um and it's and it was at the beginning you know on the one hand similarly to your client I wasn't taking credit for doing the good work but I'd Mm. always take the blame for for not doing a good job or that's the way I felt and it took me a long time to actually understand that you know as I said you have to meet people where they are and Mm. not take it personally Um, but it's still, it's still sometimes very difficult to let a person walk out the door when you, when you realize that they could actually just be much happier in their own lives, um, or be in less pain or whatever, whatever. If only they would just take this step, they're just not ready to take that step. And you have to accept that and just wait for them to have time to do that. And, and I think for a lot of therapists, um, that, that's always the difficult point because, if you push too hard, you're projecting your agenda on your client and mm. you cannot do that. You cannot do that because it's none of your business. Your client is, mm. you know, they're their business mm. sort of thing. And, um, yeah, so I, th- I think that's the hardest thing for me is actually having to, uh, to just let go when I know that I'm not the person who can help this other person uh, or maybe just not at this time. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it goes back to, to to acceptance, isn't it? Especially for for us, if you know, if we're if we're providing a service and we want to be of service to to people, <clears throat> it is hard not to do it. You know, not to kind of take it personally. I don't know whether you're like that, but I'm. I generally tend to be quite a sensitive person, and you know, and, and I really want people. I'm very um, very excitable and full of energy, and I want people to to feel that excitement. I want them to feel the same because I think like you is I see it in them. Right. Especially right. When, when I can see it in them, I, that's where I get excited because I can see the true, their true self. I can see the, 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 the best version of themselves already, even if they come in completely broken, I can see it already. And so for me, you know, as you were saying, I've got to be very careful and very boundaried to not cross over that line and try to then install my agenda into them, you know, and push too hard. And, um, and, you know, I've got to be honest, you know, at the beginning when I was kind of, when I was practicing, I tried a couple of times to, to really emphasize things on people when I guess uh, I like to call it, I got humbled slightly because they just went on and did their own thing anyway, you know, regardless. And the only person that ended up being a little bit sore was me. And yeah. Yep. It's a tough one, isn't it, when you're, it when you're in this it kind is. of industry? It is. But on the other hand, I mean, I don't, I'm sure you have exactly the same experience. I learn so much from my clients. You know, mm. they, they teach me something every single time. And it's mm. um, that's part of the fascination of it. And, um, you know, we we're helping we're helping people deal with with 
you know, make they make their lives better, the best version of themselves, as you said mm-hmm. yourself, you know. And I get really frustrated because, I mean, the, the, the kind of world that we live in, and I mean, that's a little bit going back to what you were saying earlier is, you know, we, we live in a world where we've had all of our responsibilities stripped away from us. You know, we, mm-hmm. we walk around thinking that, you know, I think this is a lot to do with what you talked about having this disconnection from the inner child. We're disconnected from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that our education belongs in the hands of teachers and mm-hmm. universities or whatever. We think that our salaries and our careers belong in the hands of our job, our, our bosses and our jobs. And mm-hmm. we think our health and, and mental health belongs in the hands of our doctors. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of the job of a coach and part of the job, I think, of a therapist today mm-hmm. is as much as fixing the problem is actually just giving back that mm-hmm. responsibility to the person and just saying, you know, wait a minute. This is your body. This is your brain. This is your mind. This is your life. You know, you get to live it the way you want. You know, tell me what you want and I'll show you how to get there. But it's your journey and take it with both hands. And I think that this lack of responsibility that we feel and this sense of helplessness and hopelessness is is really endemic in our society. And I think that is destroying people much more than anything else and I'm absolutely convinced it's it's a lot of where all of these horrible diseases that we you know Mm. these chronic diseases because at some point you know you said yourself there comes a point where things have got to get so bad before it changes you know Mm. and sometimes it's a disease you know it's how oftentimes or a traumatic experience when when you finally let the ball drop and it gets so bad that's the point where you just reach out to somebody and you say help me but wouldn't it be so much better if we could all understand so much earlier that we can actually do an incredible amount to help ourselves? Mm. I think. Yeah. You know, my, my husband always accuses me of being hopelessly idealistic, but there you go. <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, somebody's got why to be, not? you know. Exactly. There's enough pessimism around here. For, you know, I'm I right. Hey, listen, I'm with you on that. I'm Mr. Optimistic. You know, for me, everything is going to be all right. <laughs> Happy as Larry, exactly. Exactly. So he's in a company. So, but listen, I couldn't agree more with you because this is the thing. I was I I was out with 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 Lucy and 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 my daughter Maddie, and we went and sat in a park a few weeks ago. And I just want to bring the story. I've talked about it before, but I want to talk about it again because of where we are. And I was watching this little boy. I was talking to his mum and obviously Lucy being, you know, heavily pregnant. We were talking to the mum and and she was worried about him because he just wanted to explore. This little boy wanted to climb up the wall. He wanted to jump down the wall. And then all of a sudden he found this ramp. He found this ramp and he just kept running up and down, up and down this ramp. And he was 17 months. And Tatiana, this kid would not stop. But the one thing that I watched with him, and I said to I said to the girls, watch this little boy. He kept running up this ramp and he'd watch and he'd look down at the ramp, almost analyzing how he's going to get down without falling. So he ran down a ramp, he fell down, but he got back up and then he ran back up again. And then he walked around for a little bit, assessed it again, started walking walked a little bit slower then his little legs couldn't carry him. So he started running again and he fell just before he got to the bottom. He did this endlessly. But you know what the one thing I picked up with him? Not once. And we watched this little boy for about five, 10 minutes. Not once did he turn around and say to himself, I failed. I'm not good enough. I can't believe I can't do this. 
not once did nothing came out of his mouth. He can just about speak. But the one thing that he continuously did is he kept trying. He kept going up that ramp. He kept coming back down and he would laugh and he'd run away from his mom. His mom was more worried about him falling than he was. He just wanted to conquer the fact that he wanted to get down this ramp. And it wasn't a steep ramp. It was just like a tiny little one. But the point I'm making is this, and, and, and you've talked about this as well. It, we are in a society now where everything is an issue. Everything is, I can't do this. I failed. I'm not good enough. You know, my self-esteem, I'm low. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And then what we do, we go to the doctors. The doctors pump us with drugs. And we become so self-reliant on external things to try and fix us that we completely forget about ourselves, you know? And I think it's got to the point where we're in a, listen, the world is, is, is an incredible place. You know, we've got technology that allows you and I to do this, you know, and thousands and millions of people from now to, to the end of time that are going to be able to listen back at this, you know, in our conversation and take something from it. But the issue is, and hopefully the people who are listening from now and, you know, moving forward will get that you've got to start looking at yourself because there is no amount of materialism. There is no amount of hours you put into your work. There is no millions or billions that you have in the bank. And trust me, I'm working with people that have plenty of money, very financially secure, that have nothing emotionally, completely emotionally bankrupt. You know, and, and we are now in a world where there are some people out there who are screaming this out, but it's very interesting that we are kind of still just going down this hole where people are missing the point, you know, and it's disheartening sometimes to kind of watch, you know, it's disheartening sometimes to watch and it's frustrating. You said, you know, you, you, you've got your daughter, I've got my daughter who's 13, I've got my son who's 20. And it's frustrating sometimes because, I mean, I, I've, I've, my daughter's grounded for about a month. So I've got her phone for the next three weeks. And the funny thing is, she's okay with it. Her mum is the one panicking, <laughs> which is hilarious. But the, the, the thing for me, why I always want to try to install and, and kind of drive, and that's why I really wanted to, to talk to you, because you know, we, we seem to share that kind of, um, I guess, the... the you know, we, we share the same. Uh, oh God, my, my brain's completely gone dead. Um, it's been football to death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we, we we share the same. You know. Um, oh God. Philosophy, oh, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, interest. There you go. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's you know we. I love the fact that we can we can we can start putting things into place in order to, to help people change, you know? And um, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, I, I want to try and see whether we can, we can kind of start to, to help people to, to, to build, um, as you're saying, from a kind of holistic place, but looking more inside than outside, you know, instead of trying to find the answers out there is actually look inside yourself. Um, I love the whole therapy thing. You know, yeah. Lucy's, uh, you know, she's she's doing her master's at the moment. She just recently qualified, um, you know, her bachelor's as a, an addiction therapist. And it's beautiful how therapy and coaching, only because of how we came together, you know, mm -hmm. how combining the two of them is so powerful. Um, what's I, kind think, of I think everybody needs a therapist or a coach. Yeah. Actually. 
I mean, you know, everybody, uh, because you cannot, you know, you know, in the old days, we used to live in a village, right? There would be you know, these numbers that every village was roughly about 150 people. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is every individual can pretty much make a maximum of 150 personal connections. And yeah. beyond that, you can't kind of sustain it. So, you know, we used to have all of our needs met in this mm-hmm. environment. You know, if you didn't get what you were looking for from, from your immediate family, you would go talk to the neighbor or the lady across the street and yeah. there would be a lot more interaction and a lot more kind of support because life was hard. And so people would often get together in order to overcome, you know, adversity in different situations. So we just don't have that anymore. We, we're leading these totally fractured you know, self-sufficient lives that have turned us actually all into egocentric maniacs because, mm-hmm. you know, what happens when you don't care for the inside, when you don't care for love for yourself, when you don't respect, you know, who you are and what your place is in this world, then the ego just it goes unchecked and becomes rampant. And then you start, instead of being selfless, which is actually what happens when you go into yourself, mm-hmm. you actually become selfish, you know, mm-hmm. and look around. You know, we see that. Everybody's so disconnected. They're disconnected from each other. They're disconnected from themselves. You know, they're looking for everything is, is out here and mm-hmm. not inside. And if they just took a little bit of time, to go back in and, and learn a little bit of self-love and self-appreciation and self-esteem, they would realize what an amazing effect that has on everybody around them. Because, you know, when, when I've seen this so often and I've experienced it personally myself that, you know, when you look at yourself differently, um, all of a sudden everyone else does it as well. You know, there are these things actually called, sorry, I'm going to get geeky. Um, There are these things in the brain called mirror neurons, and they actually copy the behavior. You know, like when a a parent sits in front of a baby and they're feeding them and they kind of open their mouths as well as the baby and they make chewing noises. You know, this is the baby's watching the mother's face and actually learning what to do but we do this all the way through life we we have these mirror neurons that kind of sort of sync us with other people so if you go out and you're kind of radiating out a sense of self-confidence and a sense of self-love and calmness that comes with that this is going to infect all of the people around you you know it's really difficult when you have a person in a room who is really centered, you know, those charismatic people, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are always really centered. They're confident in themselves. They, they're not, they don't need to show off. They don't need to be narcissistic. They don't need to be lavish. They're just, they just command power because, you know, they're so centered. You cannot be around a person like that and, and, and not be affected by it and not change. You know, your, your way of being changes to mimic them because you respect that. Mm. And there's nothing more than we respect in another person than self-confidence. It's, it's mm. one of the most attractive things out there in another human being. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it, it's such a powerful thing as well, isn't it? One, I think the most loving thing, I've ever done for myself was was exactly that was to learn who I am that was the most powerful thing I've ever done and to confidently say not egotistically confidently say I really love who I am today 
not even like I really love who I am today. Warts and all, you know, yep. I'm not perfect, but I know who I am today. Tomorrow will be a different person because I want to wake up different tomorrow. I want to wake up a better version, you know, and, and it's not, and it's just keeping it simple, just keeping it very simple, keeping it in a day, you know, but just growing that a little bit more. And, and, and I'm learning, one of the things I've learned just recently is about having experiences, you know, um, experiences with regards to our emotions, you know, where I'm, I'm learning a lot about emotional intelligence. I'm reading the book at the moment, Ryan James, um, around, um, emotional intelligence. He, he, it's an audible mm-hmm. and, uh, fantastic just loads of different books um and it's so funny because as i was listening to him i I shared this with with lucy the other day and just said you know what i actually talked about it with somebody else as well and just said you know what the, the the beautiful thing about life is this whether you're angry happy sad in love depressed fearful resentful the emotions whatever you whatever whichever one you want to label they are all experiences. How you see them makes the difference. So whether you see this as a positive thing or whether you see it as a negative thing, that's going to be the, the, the difference in impact on who you become tomorrow, who you become the next day, you know? And I think it's so important for us to, to learn about emotional intelligence and to learn about our emotions for me to learn to deal with my emotions was was one of the one of the biggest gifts I got given, you know, is to be able to to look at who I am and to not run away from that. You talked about, you know, doing sort of the regression therapy and, and, and working with, with clients. And I'm assuming that will be to, to really help them connect with themselves, right? Well, actually, the reason why we go back to to regress is so that they can find the root cause for what their problem is, because exactly what you were talking about before is that oftentimes they don't make that connection. So Mm -hmm. we we usually do a minimum of of three regressions. So we go back sort of at least three times, sometimes much more depends on the client, Um, because I said the subconscious sort of tends to sometimes throw up metaphors and pictures and it kind of skirts a bit around the subject if it's if it's difficult so you need to get a couple of 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 trips and scenes of of past events Um, sometimes they're memories sometimes they're things that people have forgotten Um, it's never happened to me uh, but a couple of my uh, colleagues have experienced people going back beyond this life i'll leave that one out there because i have never any idea how to deal with that um uh, you just deal with it when it comes up but you know uh it's it, it makes you wonder um and and what you do by doing that is actually you look at this 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 number of of different pictures and you just say can can you see a common thread here you know, can you, it's like being a detective. Can you, can you understand how these pictures that your mind has shown you are related and even more so how they're related to the problem that you have now? And when that penny drops, it's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary because so many people have never made that connection. Mm. You know, I mean, we know with memories, for example, that every time you recall a memory, you change it. That's mm. actually proven 
So if something happened to you when you were a small child, first of all, your perspective has changed anyway. And mm. so much. But also that event has been kind of like every time you thought about it or considered it or, or it had slipped into the subconscious but was being thought about, another layer comes on top. And so by the time you get to like 30, 35, it's like a game of Chinese whispers. You know, mm. what comes out here has got mm. absolutely nothing to do with what started off at the top. Because yeah. if you remember some, say you, you're remembering an event and you're right now at this moment in a really bad mood, mm. that mood that you're in at the moment is going to color that memory because you're in a bad mood while you're remembering it which means the next time you remember it it'll have a slightly different flavor mm. so you know our memories are really not reliable you know we, we can swear blindly that xyz happened 25 years ago but actually you probably made it up to be honest you know <laughs> and sometimes it's really hard to get down to the to the nuts and bolts of, of what really happened you know and Sometimes it's just a single incidence, but most of the time it's it's really a kind of an atmosphere that was happening, you know, a series of events or an atmosphere in a household or a, a relationship, an ongoing relationship. So, you know, you need to get back and look at that and make those connections to the present day. And um, and yeah. it's it's fascinating because, you know, the biggest reason why almost everybody has a problem is I'm not enough. It really is. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that is the main reason why I went to study with Marissa Peer, because that's her mantra. And I had come to that conclusion myself independently mm-hmm. before that. And that's why her teachings really or her methodology really spoke to me, because she says, you know, this this need that we have for connection, this need that we have to belong, this need that we have to be part of a group, a society. We're social animals. We're not supposed to be by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Coupled with when you're a child, all of those dependency factors, you know, you are response, you know, you are absolutely dependent on everybody else to to meet all of your needs. Um, very quickly, most of us get this message your needs are not going to be met now a child when they look at that they don't have reasoning they Mm. don't have complicated cognitive function it hasn't developed yet Mm. so they look and they go i must have done something wrong Mm. right so that's where it starts and the basic problem is always unworthiness i'm not good enough i'm not lovable there's something wrong with me. I don't fit in. I don't deserve, you know, and that's where it starts. And that's why it's so important to go back and sort that out. And mm. I mean, sometimes you don't even need to go back to it, to be honest. I, I, I think that particular method is the one that I'm trained in and it works amazingly well. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of other methods and presumably even methods that you that you use too. Sometimes you don't always need to go back to the beginning, but it, it does help in order to wake somebody up so that they can see the connections. But then what's really, really important is to leave the past in the past, learn the lesson, turn that, you know, knowledge into wisdom mm. and that, you know, decouple it from all of that emotional baggage, turn and face forwards. And then you know now what to do, you know, all of those feelings of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, they're not relevant anymore. They were put in your head by all of those people around you who quite honestly had their own agendas to fulfill, you yeah. know, and weren't really always thinking of your best interests, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I saw a mother the other day on the street. I was, I was devastated. Uh, I actually did go up and say something, uh, which is very rare. I don't usually do that. But she was shaking her child by the shoulders. Mm. It must have been about three or something. Mm. Really shaking this child. I think the child had run off in the shop and she couldn't find him and she'd found him. And she was looking at him with this look of horror on her face. And she said, don't you know how much I love you? And I thought, probably not. No. You know? And I went up to her and I said, look, I said, you know, it's none of my business. I said, I know it's your child. I said, but please, I said, just think a little bit about the way you talk to your child. I said, because they believe everything you say and they'll think that they're responsible. And I said, you know, try and try and show them that you love them, but in maybe a bit of a more positive way. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I felt uncomfortable doing that because I, it's none of my business to interfere in how another person, but because I know Mm. how these just a a stupid thing like that can actually really color you for the rest of your life. Mm. You know, um, it's, it's, you know, of course we all lose our temper with our kids. They drive us to distraction, you know, but I think, I think knowing these things also makes you a better person and a better parent. You know, Mm. um, I wish I'd known all of this stuff when my daughter was really, really young. Yeah. You know, you've got a third chance coming up. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I mean... With, but, I mean, teaching a child self-love from day one is, I think, the most valuable gift that you can give them, really, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, mean, I couldn't agree more. I, um, I'm really... I always try to kind of emphasise these things with my daughter and my son, you know, even now, like he's in Australia traveling, doing his own thing. But, and, you know, we, we still stay in touch and he messages me and um, and we talk. And I say to him, you know, he, he brought something up the other day. Somebody, somebody was making fun of him for being confident. And I guess it took this, this person by surprise of, you know, how confident he was. But he's not a... I don't think he's a show off or anything like that. He's, he's an amazing young man. You know, he's very polite. He, and what I said to him was, is look, Brandon, it's not your issue. You know, if you haven't done anything wrong, if you're polite and I always say to them, I say to them both, stay in your lane. You know, there's always going to be somebody who's going to try and come in and veer into your lane or somebody who's going to try and pull you off yours. Stick to your lane. Look after number one. As long as you're doing the right thing, you're loving, you're kind, you're tolerant, you're compassionate, make mistakes, learn from them. You know, if you're doing things with with good intention, you're not always going to get it right. But at least you know you're learning. And that's the most important thing. And I said to him, look, it's probably her insecurity. It's nothing to do with you. Have you ever thought about that? And he went, actually, yeah, you're right. And I said, it sounds like it was pretty silly. Don't worry about it, you know. And then I tried to, to, to say the same thing to my daughter as well and, and teach, especially for her. I think girls, younger girls nowadays, are under so much pressure, you know, because of the media and social media and, you know, and all of these apps. And, and I watch her, you know, she, she loves hair. She's got this beautiful curly hair. And she loves braiding it and she does all this incredible, she's amazing. She does all this incredible stuff with it. But again, you know, I try to always teach her about self-respect, you know, and make sure that stay in your lane, have self-respect, look after number one, be a strong woman, but don't try to be an adult before you are, you know, stay 13 
and B13, you know, and uh, it's, it's, being 13 is really tough when you're a girl, though. You want to yeah. get out of that as soon as possible, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, being a young dad, you know, it was tough. And now I'm blessed to, to have another opportunity to go with it as well, you know, and, and to go through it again, which is incredible. But even now, you know, parenting, where is the rule book for that? You know, who, who, yeah, they come without instructions. I've always said that, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, well, it's a real design fault, actually, isn't it? That kids come yeah. without instructions. Yeah. You just <laughs> have to wing it. I must admit, when I was, when I was carrying my daughter, everybody kept giving me all of these books, you know, uh, was it what to expect when you're expecting? I think I had at least four copies of that one. Yeah. And I never read any of them because I thought, well, you know, my baby hasn't read any of these, so why should I? You know, human race has managed to survive for 200,000 years. I think we've been knocking around as homo sapiens. So yeah. I'm just going to go on my instinct. And I'm really glad I did that because I actually read a couple of these books afterwards. And yeah. they're just like, they're just full of horror stories you know you don't want to be reading rubbish and also really bad advice you know I mean this this I think the worst one that I never read but read later was the one about um getting your kids to to sleep at night to sleep through the night and you know it was all about basically letting them scream it's like if a baby's screaming, you know, there's a problem, <laughs> you know, otherwise it won't scream, you know, you, you know, a, a baby in what, in what animal society do you have a baby in a bed by itself when it's like two to three months old in a room by itself uh, and you wonder why it doesn't sleep? Of course not. Put it in the same room with you. You know, lie down next to it. And even if it's in your bed and it's in the cot, see what happens. You know, I mean, I never let my daughter scream. And I remember so many people telling me, you're going to regret that. She's going to carry on crying and crying and crying. And it's like, well, that did not happen. You know, she calmed down and she's a beautiful, confident, self-assured young woman. I mean, I'm sure we both did a million things wrong as parents but you know I from day one thought you know this child is never going to have the feeling that she can't rely on either one of us for comfort Mm -hmm. basic human need you know and you you put that in place and you can already start off so yeah that's my advice to anybody who's pregnant is throw the books out the window and oh, just yeah. do what yeah, you think um, is right, you know. Yeah. We we actually stopped going to the antenatal classes because some of the stuff I didn't do the, those either. Oh, <laughs> God. And and it was just, yeah, some of the stuff that they were saying, we just we said, you know what? Pretty much exactly what you said, you know what? Human human race has survived so far without it. I'm pretty sure we'll do okay, you know, carrying on and Listen, the common theme, I think, just going around the world and what one of the things the world has continuously taught us is love. Every experience, every war, every single historical book that you can read, whether it's religious or otherwise, it always talks about love. What kept human beings and the human race alive Every species is because of that, you know, and the reason we keep growing and we keep developing as, as human beings, and we keep, you know, uh, 
it is because of that. It's because of, of, of that lovely little four-letter word, you know, and it's incredible that it means so much, you know, and, and, and as you said, giving a child that, you know, from day one steers them in the right direction, you know, as when, when they grow up, you know, and and that's one of the things that I, I think I, I started to really learn about life recently, you know, that there is no rule book, you know, there is no rule book to life. Like says who, I say this all the time. That's the reason why I created this is says who, who says that you can't be, you know, a singer or who says you can't be a writer. And as you mentioned, nine times out of 10, it's you, you telling yourself that you can't do those things. Yeah. You know, and it's just, and, and we, we've lost that connection with self, you know, and, and we seem to rely on the external to reassure us that we're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm sure you have. You know, I used to put my life in other people's hands, basically telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. I think people do that all the time. I mean, we're trained that way. You know, yeah. it starts off at school when you start getting grades, you know, or, or and school reports. And, you know, you're being judged the whole time. So you put... Yeah you put faith in in the fact that the people around you know what they're doing and that they know better than you do. And then at some mm. point, you know, I think every child goes through that. It's quite traumatic, actually, when you suddenly experience that your parents are fallible and you suddenly go, mm. oh, wait a minute, they don't know everything. Well, I thought, mm. well, if they don't know everything, then I can't really rely on them anymore. So <laughs> I remember actually experiencing that and being quite shocked by that feeling because it left me sort of feeling a bit insecure because I thought, well, what do I do now? You know, mm. and but I think this is something that that we as as we have to kind of um, we have to kind of teach people and and make them understand that, you know, there are no rules. There's, there's nothing predetermined. The only thing that's determined is for society. And quite frankly, that's never going to be in your interest. That's always going to be in someone else's interest. You know, our societies keep us rolling that those balls of stone up the side of the hill mm. to build the mansions for the people that want to live in it. You know, that's the way it's been since time immemorial. Mm. The power has always been in the hands of the few you know, very few, usually one at the top and everyone else has to make everything work. Well, mm. times have changed, you know, human yeah. beings, we, we've reached, if nothing else, a population density yeah. where that kind of pyramid structure just actually doesn't work anymore. I mean, I think we've only got to look around at the countries in the world and the politics to see that that's the case. Mm. You know, people have just got to step up to the plate, you know, mm. and and understand they've got to take responsibility and that's responsibility to be all that they wanted to be. Uh, but it's also taking responsibility for failing. Actually, I'll interject just here because it's really interesting. When I first moved to, to, to Dresden in East, former East Germany, yeah. it had already been um, about, I don't know, about 10 years since the wall had come down. Mm-hmm. But still there's kind of like, mentality of people that had been educated through the socialist system was really evident and the one thing about the socialist system is it took away all self-responsibility everything was controlled by the state it controlled what you did it controlled what you ate it controlled what you how you were educated it controlled how you thought and it most definitely controlled what you said right you know that was very carefully controlled and it 
really interesting to notice that in my team of people that I was working with, that a lot of the people who had come from East Germany and had grown up in East Germany and were now in their sort of 20, late 20s, so they'd spent all their childhood and that time in this sort of communist, you know, controlling regime, were really incapable of self-determination and self-responsibility. They didn't want it, you know. Mm. I was of the opinion that if you're in a work environment and you give uh, somebody a job to do and you give them responsibility and you say, this is your project, you take it away. If you need help, come to me. We'll have regular check-in points to make sure everything's on track, but go run with it. And, you know, and then when it works out at the end, you can take all the glory too, because it wouldn't that be great. And they go, no, I don't want that. You know, and I, and I was really noticeable. So mm. you you realize, you know, that made me kind of think, well, okay, that's a really extreme case, but is it really that extreme? I think so many of us, even in what we call Western free cultures, mm. are just as imprisoned. Yeah. You know, we we don't, you know, we have rules and regulations which mean that our society functions in a certain way, but we've kind of taken on this this. Um, I don't know. I, I can't even think of the right words to describe it. We've taken on this mantle, if you like, of what everybody else around us and society tells us is the way that we should be. Mm. And that's not written anywhere down in stone. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. You know, mm. it's, 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 you know, this is, this is all just structure. This is all just mm. outside influences mm. over a couple of thousand years of, 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 you know, society, certainly in, in Europe, you know, um, has ended up with us being this way and thinking this way. Yeah. And it's like, take your power back. Yeah. Take it back. <laughs> because it doesn't belong to anyone else. You can be, do or have anything you want, you know. Yeah. Of course, everybody comes onto this planet with a certain amount of talents, a certain amount of preferences and desires that are individual to them. So one might really end up going more in one direction be it music or sport or arts or science or whatever. But, you know, once once you've identified what rings your bells, you know, there is no reason why you can't do these things because, mm-hmm. you know, it will come as, as, you, as you grow into it. You know, your talent grows with you. Your success grows mm-hmm. with you. And, and you just have to embrace it, but you can't embrace it if you don't listen to what's going mm-hmm. on inside. Then you just end up like a ping pong ball being hit from one end of the court to the other yeah yeah and that's happening a hell of a lot you know it happens all the time sorry i went on for ages there but no 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 no, no, it's great it's fantastic because but everything you said is so true you know because and i say this all the time who who is this who are these people that keep telling us other than we say oh the government who is they exactly Exactly. who are these people that create these rules that apparently we're supposed to live and you know and and, you know you're sagging out of a restaurant you know amongst friends and this happened loads of times where i've turned around and said to people yeah but says who who says that you know we we have to behave in this way well if you don't pay your taxes you get arrested okay but where is the law that says that where does all this stuff come from where all of a sudden we have to pay, you know, tax for money that actually doesn't really exist because it's it's all on a computer. Do you see what I mean? So like, yeah, I, know some of it, I know some of it is, you know, I'm, I'm just being a bit silly, but the reality of it is, you know, I sometimes I speak to my dad about it. He's into his politics and 
I'm not really in a sense where he talks to me about it and he goes off and says, oh, you know, Trump's doing this and, you know, Theresa May's doing that and blah, 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 blah. And I said to them, and? <laughs> so what exactly? So what? I'm not no, being, no, I don't last, agree the with last, you. The last, however many presidents since I was born until today have never impacted me personally, has never impacted my personal life, how I succeed in my life or my career, what I do, what I don't do. Why? Because I stay in my lane. I'm a, I try to be a good person, you know, every day. I try to help people where I can. I go to work. I, I do what I enjoy. And I'm doing this, which is what I love, you know. And on the side of that, I'm growing this business. And, but I'm doing it because I want to help people to, one, wake up, two, learn to love themselves, and to create this the, the life that they always wanted you know, to, to be the person that they should always been, not to be the secretary because that's what life told you to be, not to be, you know, the stockbroker because you're chasing the money, you know, not to be the manager because, you know, you're petrified of actually wanting to go to Africa and, and help a load of people, you know, because you're, you're scared about financial insecurities. I say this regularly, get out of your comfort zone, you know, get out of this hole that you're in, this despicable crap life that you're in that you hate so much. Go and do what you love. But the first thing I get is, oh, I can't afford it. So You what? can't afford not to, quite exactly. frankly. Because <laughs> exactly. what's going to happen is, and I, and I know that we can't predict the future, but how many times is this happening? And I've seen it in my family, and I'm sure you've seen it in yours, where you, you know, you're watching a... Uh, an uncle or an auntie or grandparent who are there, you know, la- taking their last breath. And usually what do they say to you? Is enjoy life, do everything that you're supposed to do. Why on earth are they saying that to you? For a reason, either because they regretted their lives, they wish that they could have done stuff. And I've had a few of those. Um, or they've absolutely lived life to the max and they want to make sure that you don't waste it. Yep. Listen to the people that are ahead of you, you know, in life. Take their advice. I say this to my daughter, take my advice when I'm telling you things because I'm way ahead of you. And the reason I want you to do that is because by the time you get to my age, you're going to be 10 times more knowledgeable than I am. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's, that's a whole thing in society as well, isn't it? How we just, we, we have palmed off and, and, and locked up in homes and ignored our elders, you know, every other indigenous society on, in the in the world respects their elders. They understand that you know these these elderly people, these older wise people, have yeah. been knocking around for a long time and yeah. have actually accumulated a huge amount of useful knowledge. Whereas we don't respect, you know, we don't respect our elders at all anymore. In yeah. fact, we're taught that the only people to respect are the ones who tell us what to do because you know, as I said, it's kind of in the long run it's in their interest it's not so much in ours but I think it's I think it's um yeah I agree with you it's it's really hard to understand how this has all gone so sort of terribly wrong um you know it's like why you know I I was I was trying to I, I decided not to watch the remake of Blade Runner even though the original Blade Runner was one of my favorite movies I actually think it's probably one of my favorite movies because I was madly in love with Rutger Hauer at the time <laughs> but, uh, 
But, you know, this really dystopian future that it portrays, you know, is everything's raining and it's the worst side of people and it's the worst side of machines and it's the worst side of everything. And I remember, I mean, that movie came out in the in the late 80s and I remember watching it thinking, oh, God, is this all I've got to look forward to? Yeah. You know, and I, I just refused point blank to, to look at it that way. And I, and I did look at it that way for quite a long time, I'll be honest. I mean... You know, life life pulled me off my tracks of quite a few times where I ended up being kind of very miserable and very depressed and and fed up with everything and thinking, oh God, is this it? You know, and uh, and it's really hard to to actually find someone to talk to, which is goes back to what we were saying before. You know, listen to your elders and betters. Go talk to somebody with more life experience. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a coach. You don't need to feel this way. You just don't need to. It's an artificial way of being. It's not the way we're supposed to be. No. You know, I had this brilliant interview um, just to, uh, just today, actually, with yeah. uh, Mike Mike uh, Mezenik. He's the um, Mike Mezenik is the father of neuroplasticity. So his research is basically what showed us that our brains continually change and learn. And he was saying exactly the same things. He was saying, be childlike, enjoy, engage, you know, be active, be, be confident, be nice, be happy, because actually those are all of the things that you need to have a healthy brain. Mm. I mean, if your science is telling you that that's the way to live. You know, don't listen to to what the politicians are telling you because mm. they have an agenda. It's mm. that simple. Yeah, yeah, and it's and, and this is the uh, the thing, isn't it? Is that when when I took the steps to do this course to go on this journey and you know begin this podcast, I remember sitting down and just thinking, okay, what do I want to get out of this? what is the the kind of that mission statement, you know? And, and for me was to to make sure that whoever's listening, whoever's got their little, whether they're at home or whether they've got their earphones in, you know, on their way to work, is to get that message across, is be the better version of you every time. Whoever you're listening to, I want to get that message across, is be the best version of yourself, you know, because we all have our journeys, you know, you went from going in and doing a PhD, looking at, you know, from a scientific perspective, you know, that's what your your passion was. And all of a sudden you looked again and you said, you know what, I'm just not getting a kick out of this anymore. <laughs> just okay. not moving quick enough. You know, I'm bored. Let's do something better. And and you did. You took the leap. You know, you retrained, you, you've done something completely different, transformational therapists now helping people to, to, to look deeper into their lives and, and to, to look into their soul and, and to make those positive changes. Because you made those positive changes. You know, you said you've had your kind of your dark times. You went through the depression. And, and that's the, the, the thing that I want to, to, to bring to the table, and that's why I really enjoy talking to, to, to you and because I love people to have that change. The person that went, you know what, I'm just bored now. I really enjoyed that because it was a real personal thing for me. I took it as a career because I thought it was going to take me somewhere. But actually, it's not where my passion is. It's not my driver. Yep. 
And it's it's actually a really difficult thing to do as well, because yeah. I mean, okay, times are changing for sure, but we still live in a society where constancy is is rewarded, you know, dedication. So, you know, investing in in a in a job, yeah. a career or whatever. Yeah. But the reality is that okay, there are a few careers perhaps where you need to do that if you're a you know if you need mastery of, of, of something, you know, like science or law or being a doctor or whatever, or a musician, you know, of course you can't chop and change because you're, you, it's hard to catch up and to, to let, have that level of, of uh, sophistication and mastery. But, you know, for most of us, it's, it's, it's possible to do that, but it's really difficult because all the social norms tell you that if you do that, you're a quitter. You know, if you do that, you're uh, you're flaky, you know, you're inconsistent. Mm. Um, why don't you just do something and stick to it? You know, um, but but the world is changing. You know, um, I, I see my daughter's generation, as I said, she's 18. You know, they, they think very differently. They, they want different things out of life. That gives mm. me an immense amount of hope actually for the future i don't see the future as dismal i see it as quite mm. rosy as long as we don't screw everything up before they come along <laughs> yes. um you know because they they do you know they they've they've they're a generation which has grown up without war but that's mm. the first you know we we kind of my generation came on the back end of that i'm a baby boomer mm. so i didn't experience wartime but i experienced parents who'd gone through it so those mm. scars carry on a generation more you know mm. you you can't help but pick up their anxieties but you know my daughter's generation is totally free of that so she's mm. never experienced war she's never experienced you know it, we've been very fortunate she's always had a roof over her head she's always had food and water and opportunities and I I do completely appreciate that compared to a lot of other kids she's had a pretty charm life if you like mm. but I still see that you know her and all of her friends they they want to do things which are meaningful Mm. They're not interested in making lots of money, you know. Mm. Of course they are. They want to be wealthy, but I'm saying it's mm. not it's not always the priority. And actually, mm. if it is and you scratch, you suddenly realize oftentimes it's not their priority, it's mm. their parents' priority. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they want to do jobs which which give back, they want to help mm. the earth, they're conscious of that, you know. We've not done a bad job in bringing them up to, to mm. see the world in a different way. They are conscious of the environment, you know, they are conscious of, of self um, development, which is, you know, they've grown up with it. They've grown up as digital natives. Yeah. I don't think it's all doom and gloom as everybody says. So as mm. much as maybe we learn from the elders and betters, maybe we should also learn from the young ones too. Yeah. take a bit of their enjoyment, take a yeah. bit of their energy yeah. And uh, don't see everything so seriously because it just actually isn't that serious. Yeah. And stop watching the news. I stopped doing that about um, eight years news. ago. Yeah. And it's brilliant. <laughs> it's like you kind of feel like you need to be an informed citizen, you know, yeah. know what's going on in the world. But, you know, a friend of mine once said, who actually instructed me to stop watching the news, um, when something really important happens, you'll know because you'll see the people running down the street. And I thought, okay, I'll go with that. So, exactly the same thing. Exactly. So, you know, you pick up all of the, I mean, I know Donald Trump is president. You know, I don't read to, need to read the newspaper or every tweet he writes. I don't need that because all it does is make me crazy. Why do I need that? Yeah. I can't change it anyway. So, True. you know, yeah. life is here 
for us to grow, expand, further the species mm-hmm. and enjoy it, actually. Yeah, find your purpose. Yeah, and I do honestly believe that every one of us has one, but I don't know if you've come across that problem, but certainly I've come across that problem that hardly anybody knows what their purpose is yeah. or how to find it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm hoping that that's why we're here, Tatiana. Yeah. To, yeah, that's like, a, why is that? I often ask myself, why is that such a problem, you know, for us? Because, I, you know, I'll include myself in there. It took me a long time to find my purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder why that's so hard for us to do yeah. that. Because we ignore the, the, the simplest things in life. Remember, you, you know, what you're talking about, um, even you know, the, the, the person you interviewed today, talking about being childlike. Yeah. Be childlike. Be the child. You know, I, I started to say that ever since I was watching that little boy playing and I was watching everybody else, like all of these kids running around a park. And I just sat there just talking to, to my missus and I said to her, I said, that's where it is. We have to go back to being more childlike. You know, we have to find that freedom again because we all have that inner child. We have to find that awe actually, you know, like little kids look at the world around them with these huge eyes and they go, <laughs> you know we've all become so saddened and 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 stayed and you know it's so important to to yeah feel the excitement yeah having a really marvelous conversation like this it's great yeah exactly you know and and just stopping for a second just stopping for a second and you know and and just watching what's going on around you yeah If you're yeah. sat on the train now and you're listening to this, just look outside the window and just watch, see how beautiful the world is. If you're sat on the tube, look at somebody else, you know, look at how individuals, I'm fascinated at looking at people's faces and features and I'm always staring at people and people stare at me and I like have this beaming smile <laughs> and sometimes I probably come across as a bit weird, but I'm really starting to, to, to love and appreciate how beautiful the world is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I mean, you know, Einstein apparently used to have his best ideas when he was sitting on his off in his office with his feet on his desk, staring out the window. You know, because when you do that, when you just let yourself go and and you clear your mind and you just uh, you just let let the beauty of the world work on you or the fascination of the world work on you, um, that's when your ideas come. That's when you become you know, really open to intuition because you're, you know, your brain and your mind and your body are no longer in, you know, fight or flight, defend, you yeah. know, survival mode. When you, when you calm down and you, you let your parasympathetic kick in and your vagus nerves kicks in and everything calms down and you just spend time appreciating things around you, all of a sudden you find the best ideas come into your head. You know, I was interested to find out apparently that, you know, like the people in Google, they send their, they send their staff off to go, you know, to the beach for the afternoon because they know that when they come back, they're going to be full of all the best ideas. So, you know, spending that extra half an hour at your desk is probably not worth it. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, listen, I, I say this to, and, I, and I've said this throughout my whole career. Sometimes it paid off and sometimes it didn't, but you will never catch me doing 15, 16, 17 hour days. And people go, oh, you know, I'm going to outwork everybody. Good for you. I, I've <laughs> Quite right. 
Yeah, good for you. No, that is not an award I'm ever going to be winning. <laughs> no, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to win the award for for working 18 hours a day. Jeremy. But you know, I've worked in places like that. I've worked in places like that. I've worked in one company. I was there for precisely three weeks before I quit. Mm. Um, uh, another job I was offered without asking for, but. Um, <laughs> You know, it was it was exactly like that. The, the, the people in the office used to used to play games, literally. I mean, nobody ever said it out loud about who would be the last to leave. Yeah. You know, or they'd they'd set things up so that at least it would give the impression that they were the last to leave. Like this was mm-hmm. a good thing, you know. Yeah. But it, it it isn't, you know. It doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. I worked. Yeah, same. I, I worked in the in, in the company where the culture was is, you know, you you had and we literally would sit at our desks for two hours twiddling our thumbs, doing pretty much nothing just because it was seen, you know, that, that you're in the office. And I think like you, I think I lasted about three months. I mean, I'm not being funny, but I've got a life outside of work. And and you should have, because otherwise yeah. you can't work properly. You yeah. know, what can you, what can you bring, you know, to, yeah. to the table in a, in a job yeah. when, when you're, when you're not being fed anywhere else? I mean, yeah. you know, you, you, you become blind to everything and every possibility. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of corporate cultures are beginning to change, you know, yeah. uh, but it's, it's a slow, it's a slow progress, I think. Yeah. Uh, but that Protestant work ethic hasn't actually done any of us of any favours. So. No, exactly. <laughs> God, it's changing. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, listen, thank you so much for for taking the time to, to be here. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I hope we can do it again, because one of the things I really wanted to touch on, um, and let's catch up on this, because I know this is going to go on for ages, but you talked about the regression therapy. Right. Um, Sometimes regressing back. Back, yeah. I saw your eyes light up when I said that. (laughs) I really want to talk to you about that because, so the book that I mentioned to you, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, talks about that. So Brian Wise is a, uh, he he does regression therapy and he worked with this lady and she regressed to her past life. And obviously him, you know, having that scientific brain didn't believe it at all, but he kept a diary of everything that was happening. And he then created this book. He wrote this book off the back of it. So I was fascinated when I read the book and and read more of his books. And I find that's why when you said to me, you know, having your scientific background and then going into regression, I thought, Oh, this sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's caused me to, to loosen up a lot of, uh, a lot of hard and fast ideas that I had before, but you know, that's, that's a good thing, you know, but I've always believed that, you know, mind and body are one. I, I never observed that really kind of scientific materialist reductionist idea that, we're just a bag of bits and, uh, you know, mechanical moving parts and everything's accidental and this and the other. As far as past lives are concerned, though, that that's a leap of faith for me because, mm. um, you know, I don't I don't actually I don't have a, a problem with it, but I just I don't I just don't know what to make of it. But it's that mm. way. So <laughs> but, yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. So anytime. Yeah, let's definitely do that again. And I'll share one of my stories with you about past life. Oh, in that case, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, guys, thank you so much for listening. And if you've got any questions, 
you can always go to our website, www.happyaslarrygroup.com. And do not forget to check out Tatiana's podcast on iTunes, which is London Hill. And I will see you again very soon. Take care.